This is the Shift Podcast. All right, welcome to the Shift Daily Podcast. On this episode, lawyer and COVID-19 survivor Kyla Lee lets us know how local governments could police people breaking COVID-19 restrictions. On In Case You Missed It, we rant about the latest boxing match involving Jake Paul. And what would you do to get free burgers for a year? On Weird Science, Andrew Ferreira answers that particular question and also celebrates NASA's New Horizon probe reaching seven and a half billion kilometers from Earth. He also chats about NASA working with SpaceX to get humans back on the moon once again. And perhaps the biggest question of all throughout the show, can you eat a cheeseburger in space? Let's get right into this conversation. The bad news that we saw out of Vancouver. It's the last thing we wanted to see. Large crowds gathered at various beaches in Vancouver over this weekend, partying and socializing and violating current public health orders. Uh, These crowds were found at both English Bay and Kitsilano Beach. I suspect there were more, but these were the two that we got videos of on social media with a concerning lack of police presence trying to shut them down. Imad Agahi has the report. Another night, another beach party in Vancouver. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah. I don't know why they're not thinking ahead, <laughs> you know, of, of their future and their family's future. It's a little bit frustrating. We're at the height of the pandemic. It's as bad as it's ever been. What this weekend may have proved is there are plenty of people who can enjoy the outdoors safely in small groups. But as the sun and the drinks go down, sometimes physical distancing becomes an afterthought, making way for a desire to blow off COVID steam. I think uh, like most British Columbians, when I saw those clips, it uh, it made me extremely angry and it's extremely frustrating uh, to think that there are people out there who still don't get it. The video captured by a global news camera is from late Saturday night, an impromptu dance party at English Bay that from every angle clearly shows people breaking the outdoor gathering limit of 10 people. And that is not the only example of reckless behavior. This is why we're The night before, a similar event frustrated some living near Kitsilano Beach. This crazy party just started happening and I sat there for a bit and we we just like very angry, we got angry like instantly. Enforcement and shutting situations like this down can be difficult and there are fears by some breaking up these beach parties could drive them underground. And there is a possibility that if we have very strict um, restrictions on on outdoor gatherings that that people will congregate more indoors where we know that that transmission is actually much worse in a tweet sunday vancouver mayor kennedy stewart said he'd contacted the city's police chief adding after a busy weekend the vpd will be reassessing their approach to outdoor parties our chief and the mayor we they are in in discussion on moving forward and how we can um make these types of calls more of a priority. Video from English Bay Saturday night also appears to show a police officer eventually taking matters into their own hand, dragging away the speaker. <laughs> Much to the chagrin of the dance party. Amadagahi, Global News. So what can be done to stop these large gatherings from happening? Our next guest hopes to answer that question. She is Kyla Lee, a lawyer with Acumen Law in Vancouver. Kyla, appreciate you giving us some time here on a Sunday. Well, thank you for having me. 
Right. And so we see these videos earlier this morning here in Vancouver. Uh, a lot of us have heard over and over again the same message from Dr. Bonnie Henry, from the provincial government, stay inside, don't go and do large social gatherings. But then these videos, Kyla, large, large groups of young individuals down at English Bay, uh, all very closely together. There is a lack of masks, a lack of social distancing. First of all, what was your reaction to when you saw the footage of all this stuff happening over the weekend? I was disappointed um, in everybody who participated in it. Um, I, it makes me scared for what the numbers are going to look like in you know a week when we start to see the cases, if there was any transmission in, in this incident. And it makes me concerned. We're just at the beginning of the nice weather here in the lower mainland. Uh, if this is a sign of what's to come, I think we're in for a very long haul with the rest of this pandemic. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong. And I think a lot of people are concerned that a lot of these young individuals, we don't know how old they were. A lot of people musing and speculating, you know, what if they're going back into school on Monday? And, and what if they're at risk of s spreading it around within their classmates, their teachers, all of those risks? We don't know exactly what's going to happen. We can now only wait and see. But then that brings us to the question of enforcement. Now, in those videos, uh, what we saw were the large, crowd, large crowds, uh, a lot of, again, young individuals. What we didn't see were any police officers in the background, you know, trying to sort of suppress what was happening and anything like that. Uh, first of all, does, does it worry you at all that a large crowd like this could gather and there wouldn't be police intervention happening even throughout the video like this? I mean, it is concerning that there was no police presence at all, um, even just to ensure that things didn't get out of hand or that, uh, you know, people were dispersing, you know, politely when asked to do so. The fact that there was just nothing happening at all is troubling to me. And then the fines. We know that COVID-19 rule breakers have been issued uh, many different fines here in BC over the past number of months. Do you think it's enough to deter individuals from wanting to just go and, and flaunt these rules right now? I think the threat of fines is definitely not enough to deter people from from wanting to do this. Most of the COVID fines that have been issued in BC so far have not been collected or paid. Um, and people think, oh, you know, I'll just dispute this ticket. I'll show up to court. The officer probably won't show up. You know, there are going to be issues in court with, with the level of proof necessary to establish that the person committed the offense indicated on the ticket. And I think a lot of people are banking as well on the possibility that if the orders get lifted, the restrictions get lifted, that maybe the courts will just throw out all the fines and not deal with them, which is not realistically going to happen. <laughs> now, what, one thing that you had also mentioned to me um, uh, privately just off the air is that if you do have a COVID-19 fine hanging over you, uh, that means you're actually ineligible to go and renew your driver's license or your auto insurance down the road because here in BC, of course, ICBC, it's a crown corporation. So they have that kind of influence already. A lot of people don't know this. They think, oh, you know, I'll pay the fine when I can. It's just like a fine I'm going to owe to the government. There's nothing that they can really do about it. But that's not true. In BC, all of our fines that are issued under provincial orders are collected by ICBC. And ICBC has the same power that they do if you don't pay your traffic tickets or if you don't pay any other tickets um, to refuse to issue you a license and refuse to issue you insurance until those debts are paid. 
So I think a lot of people, when their licenses come up for renewal or their insurance does, are going to be in for a rude awakening about what these COVID fines actually mean. Yeah, I have uh, zero sympathy for those that are going to have such rude awakenings when they get to ICBC in time to renew their driver's license and find out, oh, oh no, I'm not eligible. What's going on here? Yeah, well, that's what happens when you don't uh, follow the rules and the public health orders. There are consequences. So I'm actually happy to learn that much, Kyla, because uh, I'll admit I didn't realize that. So thank you for bringing this uh, little and very important detail to light. But then the question grows here in this conversation. Are I mean, if we've agreed that maybe fines aren't enough, is it time we take really drastic actions and maybe even start talking about the possibility of throwing in some jail time for some of these individuals? I, I don't think jail time is necessary, at least not for the people who are just, you know, first time or one or two times violating the orders. Obviously, there are exceptions, people who are knowingly hosting and promoting large gatherings, um, indoor gatherings, uh, promoting defiance of the orders. That's a different story. But for people in this situation, I think that jail time would be disproportionate to what's happened. I mean, this seems by all accounts like it was an organic gathering of people that just happened to get out of control with nobody intending for that to be the ultimate consequence. And to put people in jail for things just sort of happening and getting out of control, to me, is a step too far. But there are things short of jail that the government could be doing and they aren't doing when it comes to enforcing and and, um, punishing people who violate COVID orders. What would some of those things be? Well, under the Offence Act in BC, the provincial government can put people on conditions, um, like not to have contact with other individuals. So if they were with the group of friends at the beach, they could put them on conditions not to contact those individuals. They could put them on area restrictions so that they can't go to the beaches or the public places to discourage them from participating in those events at all. And if somebody were to be hit with these, uh, these conditions, and if they broke those conditions, do we know what the penalties could look like? The penalties could be up to a $2,000 fine and six months in jail. Okay, so it's a little bit of both. Again, an increased fine, which uh, may not be enough, but then the threat of a little bit of jail time in there. Now, that to me is a little bit more interesting. Now, I don't necessarily want to throw just large people, uh, large crowds into jail just suddenly like that. But at the same time, I am frustrated, and I know many others are frustrated because, like so many other residents in BC, I've been doing my duty. You know, I've been staying inside. I've said no to a whole bunch of invitations from friends who may want to go and socialize and mingle. They're sick and tired of following the rules, but I'm still doing it. I've got parents in Alberta that I haven't seen in over a year now, and I miss them so much. But I'm trying to do my best, and I'm reminding myself every single day that these small sacrifices each day are going to help prevail through this COVID-19 pandemic, but it only works if everybody else is going to agree to do it. And so there's this, I guess, metaphorical throwing of the hands up into the air when I see these videos, Kyla, where I just, I can't believe that we're at this point now. And your unique connection to anything COVID-19 related is that you actually had to endure uh, the pandemic yourself as somebody who was diagnosed with COVID-19. So obviously you have a personal attachment to the story that I, I can't say that I have myself. I am personally attached to it and having gone through it and, and, you know, not being very ill, but as ill as I was, I don't want anybody to have to go through that. And I don't want anybody to have to be sicker than I was. There are all these variants out there now that are affecting people differently than the version of COVID that I had a year ago. The idea that anybody would willingly put themselves in a situation where they run the risk of getting that sick and then the long effects that can happen afterwards, I just I don't understand the logic that leads you to that conclusion. 
And finally, you know, Kyla, what we saw late last week was Premier Doug Ford in Ontario introducing uh, new enforcement measures that could be followed through by various levels of Ontario police. Now, over the past number of days, we have seen uh, large numbers of Ontario police forces rejecting this new proposal, basically allowing officers to randomly check uh, in individuals, pedestrians, if they're outside, uh, asking for their address, their ID, where are they going, uh, why are they outside, uh, things of that nature. Basically, carding, if you want to use that phrase. Is something like that, which has been so negatively received by those in Ontario, but is something like that maybe productive, maybe fruitful in terms of trying to just limit the number of rule breakers that are just kind of ignoring the consequences right now? I don't see something like that as being productive, in part because it's the type of thing that's going to be disproportionately used against people who are most disadvantaged by the pandemic. We know that when police have random and arbitrary powers, they are more often than not used against people of color. We will only see that aggravated if those powers are brought in here. And and what we'll see is that the people, people of color generally, who are doing worse as a result of the pandemic, who work more frontline service jobs, who get worse outcomes in healthcare because of systemic discrimination in healthcare are now going to have another place in which they're being disadvantaged. The essential worker going to the grocery store is now going to be stopped asking why he's going to his job at the grocery store simply because of the color of his skin. I, I think that's an excellent point to be bringing up. And uh, hosting the shift over the past weekend, uh, Friday night, I had also heard a lot of people sharing similar sentiments, and not just people of color, but also homeless people who don't have a residence to go back to. And so if they're on the street and they lack the ID, they lack the address of where to be, then all of a sudden they're going to be at the mercy of these uh, police officers on an individual basis, and that oftentimes might not uh, work out very well in their favor. Now, finally, Kyla, before we let you go, in terms of what their what the actions the provincial government could do, legally speaking, is there at any way that the provincial government could be theorizing like a large body lawsuit against number a number of different COVID-19 rule breakers, especially those that have been violating um, COVID-19 protocols repeatedly. And I'm not talking about just finding one or two rule breakers that might have been, as you say, organically at the party like we saw uh, at English Bay, but those that might be constantly organizing parties. Uh, continuing to host social gatherings at their private residences? Is there a way that the provincial government could just go after them legally and, and try to get a mass lawsuit going? It is possible. Uh, the BC government did this with tobacco companies for mm. the healthcare costs associated to smoking. They passed the Healthcare Costs Recovery Act, which allows them to sue people who or companies who cost the healthcare system a lot of money and knowingly do so through their actions. And so, you know, in theory, the BC government could sue the very deliberate rule breakers. They would have to be able, though, to establish that that person breaking the rules contributed to transmission of the virus. And right, and then that's going to be a difficult case. But at this point, I just want them to do everything possible to try and uh, stop this from happening. As you say, we're, we're just here in the middle of spring, right? And summer now just around the corner. The weather's only going to get better. More young people, and, and you know what? Just people of all ages, for that matter. They're going to be uh, more pressured to maybe go outside, ignore some of the rules, even for a night, and uh, that is going to cause a lot more trouble. She is Kyla Lee. She is a lawyer with Acumen Law in Vancouver. Kyla, thank you so much for giving us some time here tonight. Thank you for having me. This is The Shift Podcast.
In case you missed it on the radio, here's Ryan Type O'Donnell. Oh, yeah. Ooh, indeed. I like that one, Ryan. I really do. <laughs> it's pretty good, eh? Yeah, you did a good job on that one. Yeah, it's Type O'Donnell back at it again. Uh, I don't think there's any typos in the script today, but it doesn't matter because <laughs> I feel like John and I are going to be ranting uh, just the way I like it. Uh, so <laughs> let's just hop right in. Mr. Jake Paul. Uh, if you are unaware of who Jake Paul is, he is a YouTuber and a social media influencer who has an enormous ego a destructive personality with millions upon millions of followers, and he makes way too much money. But he has a new business venture. He's a boxer. It's actually not exactly it's not exactly new. A couple of times on the show, we've covered his fights and also his attempts to fight Conor McGregor to no avail. I don't think Conor's going to go for it. And uh, you know, you think it's a joke, right? A YouTuber turned professional boxer that can't go well. Well. It's going well. Jake Paul, over the weekend, fought Ben Askren, professional MMA fighter. First time Ben's been in the ring as a boxer, but he was good as MMA. This is part of Snoop Dogg's boxing league, which makes this story even more amazing. So basically, Snoop Dogg owns a boxing league and just gets super, super high and commentates on it live, <laughs> and uh, it's really funny. It's it's quite funny. Um, actually, I'm not sure if this is the league he owns. I know he's getting into one, but he might have just been commentating on this one. Regardless, Jake Paul versus Ben Askren happened, and uh, CBS Sports wrote a nice little summary that I'm going to read to you before you hear the moment where the controversy began. Jake Paul, YouTube star, came out fast against Askren, working off a jab that he used to Askren's head and body. Askren, an accomplished wrestler who was never known as a striker in his successful MMA career, looked stiff and slightly robotic as he tried to figure out a way inside on the younger, stronger, faster Jake Paul. With Paul showing solid technique, which his technique is pretty solid, I'll give him that, it felt clear that Askren would have to turn things around into a dirty fight. Unfortunately. A crushing, and I mean crushing, right hand from Paul knocked him the frick down, just cold. Despite beating the count, the referee said, nope, he's done. Just one minute and 59 seconds in to round one. Ben got destroyed. Very embarrassing. And uh, before we talk about some of the interesting controversy here, this is the moment it happened. I'm just going to warn you. I spent a good 20 minutes bleeping this and editing out Snoop Dogg losing his mind. And uh, well, anyway, I hope you enjoy. Jake Paul sparred with former world champion John Pascal. And Get also my money, Jake. Get my Three knockouts. Come on. Come on, Jake. Starching. Come on, Jake. Okay. Come on, Jake. Bring your ass on up here. Come on, Jake. This, how the Come fight on, finished Jake. off. That We're going to break bread of fake dead. Two tickets on the house. Oh, boy. 
Oh boy. <laughs> I want oh, Snoop Dogg to commentate on every sport. Every sport. Get him in on soccer, hockey, football, all of it. For shizzle. Not as the main thing. For shizzle, right? Not all the time, but sometimes. So this is this is where the controversy comes in with this whole fight. They got a camera of Askren walking backstage after the fight. He just got his ass beat by a YouTuber, humiliated in the first round. And he walks out with a massive grin on his face. He looks like he just won the lottery. Well, he kind of did because he was paid $500,000 just to fight this match. So I'm not giving any credit to this. However, there is some sketchiness. Is the fight rigged? Of course it's rigged. Are you kidding me? You think me? so? You think so, First John? of all, yeah. first of all, we know one that boxing has been on its way down for years. And now in more recent months, it's become revitalized as a result of YouTube stars coming in and throwing in celebrity matches. Uh, no, I don't I don't buy that. I think it's a big facade. I think it's all fake. You look at the highlight reel of when that quote unquote punch connected with Askren. If he was truly knocked out, and based on his reaction, I'm assuming he was quote-unquote knocked out, nobody falls to the ground with their hands strategically placed so that you can cushion the blow and you don't just hit your head on the floor of the boxing oh. ring. That's what happened here. And Ben Askren, uh, I know what they say, that he's not exactly known for his stand-up fighting technique going back to his MMA career. Indeed, more of a wrestler. But in his career, there's multiple incidences where he was in big fights, and he would get repeatedly knocked in the face, like in the face with a closed fist from many of his different opponents, never once got knocked out like that. Just too easy, way too easy. I think he got paid handsomely. That $500,000 might be the disclosed figure. I anticipate there's probably more shady backroom dealings, maybe a million, maybe a million and a half, who knows. But I think this was an easy payday for Askren. All he had to do was take an easy loss take a dive and he decided i can get all this money for only what like two three minutes worth of fighting yeah i'm in easy doesn't I mean, matter that he yeah, loses I mean, to jake paul he doesn't care yeah it's a facade the only the only problem is like unless he's if he's deciding to fight again he's gonna have to live with this but if he never fights again he's not gonna care he just got a boatload of money for mm-hmm I mean, the only thing is his ego, which gets hurt. But if you don't care, I mean, I, I can respect that. But uh, it's just like, I don't like seeing Jake Paul win. <laughs> I yeah. really enjoy. I just, I really, everything he does is like the opposite of what I think, you know, people with influence online should be doing. And he, I think he's really toxic. And I, I just really want to see him lose. Of course. Of course. I just want to see it. That's my personal opinion, right? It's just me, how I feel. And I didn't even get to see him take a really heavy hit at all. Nope. He's just bum bum done. Can you imagine paying 40 bucks for that? Mm-mm. Waste of money. A lot of people, I'm sure, paid money for it. And it's a waste because you bought into a pre-scripted fight. That's it. Uh, I hope there. I hope there's an answer here. Whatever. I'm sure there will be an investigation. Regardless, I got to watch Snoop Dogg lose his mind while Pete Davidson was also there too. They're all smoke. It's so weird just seeing announcers smoke weed live on TV during a, 
a pay-per-view event and just lose, you know, get so casual with it. It kind of fits what's going on, honestly. Mm -hmm. But regardless, some interesting news from the world of boxing. Now, I have a question for both of you, Mr. Brandon Kelly and John Jang. What would you do to get free cheeseburgers at your favorite restaurant for life? What would you do? I'll let Brendan take this one first. Well, I think I'd have to become not a vegetarian. That's what I would do. <laughs> Beyond meat burgers. <laughs> okay, Beyond Meat Burgers. What would I do to get free? Um yeah. Well, that would feed me for a long time. So I'd probably do I'd probably do a lot because that would feed mm. me for the year. And that's that's mm-hmm. budgetary wise, that would, you know, help out. So I um uh, you're thinking smart here. Yeah, yeah. I, I well, I don't know. What- we, we we know my benchmark. I I already told uh, everyone on the show today that I've done um, a full marathon, 42 kilometers, for a free, all inclusive vacation for a week in Mexico. So because this is, I don't know, is this a better? I guess it is slightly better. As Brendan said, it's free food for a year. Um, I would run. I would run another marathon. How about that? Would that satisfy everyone? Well, yeah, I was mm. also going to say that as a long distance runner, I'll run that marathon with you. There you go. Okay, we can do it together. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm going to take the easy way out here and I'm just going to get a tattoo. <laughs> I'll just get a tattoo. I'm just going to get a tattoo. Uh, so this is a real thing that's happening in America. A California-based restaurant chain is offering free burgers only for a year. Hmm. Who gets a permanent tattoo offered for free bearing the restaurant's name and image. Here's a little summary from KTNV with accompanied by some cringy anchor dialogue. <laughs> and now's your chance. Farmer Boy is celebrating its 40th anniversary in a rather unique way. All you have to do is put it in writing and you can win burgers for a whole year. But by writing, they mean get a tattoo courtesy of Farmer Boys to show your love for the company. Farmer Boys has partnered with tattoo shops in L.A., And right here in Las Vegas, submit your permanent tattoo request through the company's website by May 21st to be eligible. Yeah, I like Farmer Boys a lot, but not enough to get a tattoo. Oh, come on, Dave. A little commitment, please. That looks uh, like a good idea for one year. And then maybe... uh... Maybe... uh, I don't know. (laughs) I would do it. Cheeseburgers are, are one of my favorite foods. But here's the thing. There's a burger place in Calgary called Boogie's Burgers, which mm. is my favorite burger in the city. And they have a great logo. They have great merchandise. So if they if they put a thing out on their social media tomorrow saying, if you get a tattoo of that somewhere on your body, you will get free burgers for a year, I would absolutely do it. Because then two things. I get free burgers and I have a very funny story that people will mock me for. And then I can just spin it as, yeah, but I got free burgers. So I see this as a win-win. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think there's some smart ways you could do this. I mean, obviously, you don't have to put it in a high-profile, visible place on your body. And they didn't specify how big the tattoo could be, right? So it could be like the size of a dime. I mean, that's not that large. You could hide that. And, of course, with technology nowadays, you can just get it laser removed. After the one year is over, you get all the free burgers you can handle. Just take care of that thing. Yeah, laser it I off. Mean, laser, laser removal sucks, and it's it's very painful, and it's never perfect. So I would just stick with it for the story but you're right it is an option that people have and that's a pretty cool option all in all i mean hey i am i'm all for this and uh like let me know boogies if you're listening i'll do it i'm not joking i will do it 
Next up, this is a new thing I'm doing on In Case You Missed It. I'd just like to open with this sentence and then tell you a ridiculous story. So here's a headline for you. Nintendo of America and its president, Doug Bowser, are suing a hacker named Gary Bowser. Oh no, Bowser on Bowser violence. Yes, this is real. Nintendo's president in the United States' real name is Doug Bowser, and they are hacking a guy, or sorry, they're suing a guy who hacks Nintendo products whose name is also Bowser. They say they're filing the lawsuit against alleged team executor leader Gary Bowser for infringing on Nintendo's copyright by creating and selling Nintendo Switch hacking devices. This is from Polygon. The lawsuit was filed in Seattle, and not to be confused with the king of Koopas, Mario's arch enemy, you know, enemy stealing the princess, Bowser. No, Doug Bowser, who works for Nintendo and who is not evil, we think, <laughs> is, you know, alleging that evil Bowser, not Mario Bowser, but Gary Bowser, hacker Bowser, see what I mean here? runs an international pirate ring that sells switch hacking devices that are designed to circumvent Nintendo's security measure so they can run pirated games, which are, you know, download the game for free. Mm. So the lawsuit states that Bowser has been creating and selling Nintendo hacking devices, not Koopa King Bowser, Gary Bowser, since at least 2013. And just to be clear, Nintendo of America's president is really named Bowser, and here is proof. Before we dig into the next game, there is someone I'd like to introduce first. What? What are you doing here? Wait, 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 wait. Wait a minute. There's been a bit of a mix-up. You're not the right Bowser. Sorry, but I'm the right Bowser for this presentation. So weird. They had to know this was going to end up confusing people at some point, right? 100%. I'm, I'm just surprised that not only is this news story containing one man named Bowser, but actually two of them, and they're actually fighting one another. In a sense, they're not like actually directly punching blows like apparently Jake Paul. However, is Bowser that common of a surname? Like this is like the odds of this actually realistically happening <laughs> is so far-fetched to me that they shouldn't sue this guy they should hire this guy and be like how do we prevent this from happening again don't be mean be smart work with this guy and see what you can do to make sure this uh, never happens yeah so i don't know nintendo you've you've got yourself in some weird situation here but it's really funny to watch from afar uh but just to be clear bowser like mario bowser still evil <laughs> but there's one good bowser two evil bowsers i'll leave it at that there you go. Yeah, indeed. Uh, the Bowser that runs a Nintendo America, from all accounts, uh, a pretty nice guy and certainly doing a bang up job. I wonder, though, like a part of me, just a very skeptical part of me, maybe thinks that he only got hired because of his last name. Like, I'm sure he's really qualified for the job. But mm -hmm. if I went into the job and my name was like John Mario Luigi, they probably hire me for something. Right? Like, just if that was my real name, if I was some super Italian dude, if this was the shift, then, you know, honestly, I think they would hire me for something just based on my name being John Mario Luigi. It's the Shift Podcast. 
Andrew Ferreira is weird. So weird, he loves science more than sleep and other people. It's time for Andrew Ferreira's Weird Science. All right. Another exciting edition of Weird Science with Andrew Ferreira now on the docket. And Andrew, before we get into anything else, you got to answer that question from Derek. Are you allowed to have cheeseburgers in space? Is that a thing for astronauts? I don't see why not. It doesn't okay. strike me as the most um, economical food to have in space. Um, I believe I can't remember what series of missions this was. I don't think it was Skylab. I think this was the shuttle. I think this is either like the Mariner missions or something. Um, mm. But a NASA astronaut got into deep doo doo uh, for sneaking a roast beef sandwich up. Um, oh. That's See, like, thing. when I think of eating in space, yeah. I always think, you know, like, futuristic, and it's all fictional, but, like, the pills and uh, vacuum-sealed everything. So I don't often think about the International Space Station, for example, and having, like, a good old barbecue cookout. Yeah, uh, no, it's, it's. I mean, the the stereotype of, of just horrendous food on the space station is kind of old now. They actually eat pretty well. Um, mm. And it's actually a complete tangent here, but now that we're talking about it, um, the uh, based on whoever is up at the International Space Station, the resupply uh, ships that come and, and deliver food. Um, generally, the menus are, uh, and I do say menus, the menus are catered to whoever <laughs> is on board. Um, oh. So right now, there's a Japanese astronaut on board. Uh, and as far as I know, there's been some Japanese food that's been sent up. Um, you know, it's these okay. kinds of things that, you know, we now have the capability of doing, whereas before it would have been the super standardized crap food. Um, now we can, you know, actually like now that we have the capability to send food up on our semi-normal basis and we've got all this weird, fancy, like vacuum sealed, dehydrated food kind of space microwave technology, like mm-hmm. I don't think cheeseburgers m- would make the cut, uh, <laughs> but I don't see why they couldn't outside of a purely like logistics kind of, well, the bread's going to be kind of weird and the meat's going right, to be kind of weird, right. and, you know, but again, I, I don't see why it couldn't happen. And by the I way, that the fact, oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah no, go for it. Go for it. Go for it. I'm going oh, to take it another just... direction. I love the fact that they're actually like customizing menus, as you put it, uh, to what the astronauts actually prefer and what they're used to growing up. And I don't know if there's been a Korean astronaut, like Korean American, Korean Canadian. I don't really know. I don't have the facts available on hand. But I think it'd be really great to have like kimchi up in space. I would eat kimchi, like space kimchi, I would have in a heartbeat. I would pay good money for space kimchi. Yeah. Uh, There has been. Uh, the first, I'm not sure how many there have been, but the first Korean astronaut uh, goes by the name of Yi so Young. Uh, she was born in 1978, and she became the first Korean uh, to fly in space. Good for her. Okay, I had no right? idea who she was, but she's not even that old, so good for her. Okay, must no, have been yeah, pretty she's, recent then. She's, uh, she's an astronaut and biotechnologist, if you want to look super cool on your resume. Um, nice. All right. So, now, that's good at- for her. Andrew, we didn't we didn't bring you here to talk about space kimchi, although I, I do think it would be a great thing it to would, talk I about. I think it would be a wonderful thing. Absolutely. Instead, you've got some news for us from the uh, the past couple of days, some big things. Let's start with New Horizons and a rather important milestone there to, uh, to sort of bring us up to speed on. Yeah, so if you're unaware, uh, New Horizons is uh, essentially humanity's only real a spacecraft that has looked at Pluto. In fact, it is the only spacecraft that's actually looked at Pluto uh, up close and personal. Um, Any image that we have of Pluto now, including its cute little heart, that's actually like nitrogen ice horribleness, like you would die instantly. Um, But all of that stuff is from New Horizons. 
Um, and New Horizons has joined a rarefied club of now five spacecraft that have uh, reached 50 astronomical units um, from the planet Earth. Uh, and an astronomical unit is about 98 million miles. Um, and in metric terms, I can't do that off the top of my head because I'm not good at math. Um, but I can tell <laughs> you right now um, that, you know, at 50 astronomical units out, it is, uh, I want to say, about a lot of kilometers away. Like yeah, I'd hundreds say that's accurate. of millions of millions of kilometers. And like I said, I'm, I'm not good at math here. Um, seven and a half billion kilometers is the, you know, the kind of thing. Um, wow. Yeah. So, you know, take you a little while in the car. Um, but it joins a rarefied club. Um, only Voyagers 1 and 2 and Pioneers 10 and 11 um, have ever gone further. Uh, Pioneers 10 and 11 have long since finished their mission. Um, they now just drift empty, like dead husks through the blackness of space, which is kind of <laughs> sad to think about. Um, but Voyagers 1 and 2 are still alive and kicking. Um, Voyager 1, as people probably are, at least in the back of their minds, aware of, is the furthest spacecraft um, from the planet Earth right now. Uh, and it clocks in at an astounding 152 astronomical units away. Uh, that's 22-odd billion kilometers um, and that's far enough away that it has left the solar system. Um, it is beyond the sphere of influence. It's beyond the sphere of influence where the sun is the primary kind of energy source. Um, it is now way out there. And Voyager 2, uh, not too long ago, I think in the last couple of years, actually, also exited the solar system. So those two space probes are, are you know, interplanetary. Uh, to borrow the Beastie Boys' expression. Um, <laughs> I, I love that. I mean, that is so mind-boggling because of how long ago these probes were initially sent out. And, of course, leaving it to the top minds in the entire world to figure out what is going to work in order for this equipment to still function that far away from planet Earth, that far away from just the sun, as you sort of put it there. That is, I man, I, I, have trouble, it, yeah. I have trouble calculating the right times to finish a radio segment. You know, like I, I, I just I don't I don't understand how all of this was done with even you know, more primitive computer, more primitive technology compared to what we have today. It makes me feel so inadequate, but it also inspires me in, in, in the exact same way. So I love that's why I love space and science. Well, exactly right. Like these two probes launched in 1977 and they're still kicking, which is awesome. Uh, but New Horizons is, hasn't been around for that long. Um, and so far, it's the only mission to date that is in perfect health at the 50 astronomical unit. Uh, milestone. Um, so every every subsystem on the spacecraft is still working. Um, and so scientists are hoping to get another, you know, 10 to possibly 15 years of science out of it before um, its radioactive generators start to lose power. Um, so, you know, in a way, it's kind of sad thinking, wow, it's 50 astronomical units from, from home. It's seven and a half billion kilometers away. That's kind of lonely. Uh, and yeah, mm. that's horrifically lonely. Uh, but it's also a testament to ingenuity, really. Um, the yeah, fact absolutely. that we've seen I mean, Pluto, right? We have pictures. You know, a hundred exactly. years ago, we didn't know if Pluto existed. Um, right. And, you know, not even a few years ago, it's like, oh, it's got a cute heart on it. Look at that. And, and you know, like a lot of the conversation with space discussions lately has been rovers and certainly a lot of reasons for that. You look at the success of the Perseverance landing and everything that's going on with that rover is is really really important stuff but the the probes that have been sent out i mean that is also really really innovative technology the photos that we get when you think of space pictures and just images um, it's all thanks to a lot of these probes that continue to work hard so 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 far away if you have ever seen wally 
it does make me oh, a little God. bit sad thinking about these uh, poor probes that are just flying and, and just totally by themselves. And they have been for decades now. But that's just me making everything fictional. No, that's everyone. Everyone gets sad at Wally. If you don't get sad at Wally, there's something frankly wrong <laughs> with you. Um, and anyway, uh, in, in a kind of Wally esque um, manner, because everything, you know, you think back to Wally and how sleek and fancy everything looked. Um, and everyone was fat, but that's a different thing. Um, <laughs> everything was kind of sleek and shiny. And you look at what SpaceX is doing, and they're really trying to turn space into a fashion show. Um, mm -hmm. Everything they do is trying to make itself look super cool and super futuristic, which, to their credit, has apparently worked incredibly well. Uh, because uh, just you know, late last week, essentially, uh, NASA capitulated. Um, they said, you know what, we do not have the ability on our own to bring humans back to the moon, so we're going to get SpaceX to do it. And we're going to pay them $2.9 billion uh, wow. to make it happen by 2024. Uh, so this is, this is Elon Musk's company, SpaceX, now that we're talking about. That's correct. A private company that has now been given a contract to take humans back to the moon. That is yeah. massive. Yeah, this is, this is actually... Uh, incredible, really. It's incredible in two ways. It's first incredible because to think that a private company uh, founded by a strange man, um, mm -hmm. to put it lightly, a strange man, smart man, strange, uh, that, you know, not even 10 years ago had really even built a proper rocket. Uh, to think that now they have a, you know, almost $3 billion contract to land people on the moon in three years, uh, that's insane. And, in you know, three that years? is. Yeah, by 2024. Wow, okay. How feasible do you think that actually is? Uh, if it was NASA, I would say impossible. If it's SpaceX, right. I say it's absolutely possible. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they are untethered from the whims of congressional bureaucracy, uh, which is where which is where NASA has failed, quite frankly. Um, so on, the, on one hand, this is an incredible um, achievement, and it's historic. Really, um, the first woman on the moon won't be there as an international collective kind of um, a delivery kind of thing. Of course, it will be. This is going to it will be an international moment when it does happen. Um, the fact that it won't be, you know, a government agency, it'll be a company, a for profit company uh, yeah. that delivers the next people to the surface of the moon. Um, that's incredible. Uh, and on the flip side, this is, in my opinion, extremely embarrassing for NASA because they have dumped uh, more than a decade um, on what's called the SLS, the Space Launch System. Um, it's essentially NASA's attempt starting in 2011 to kind of, with inspiration from the Space Shuttle program, uh, minus the shuttle with some more rockets. Um, this SLS was pegged to be their kind of uh, next generation uh, rocket uh, vehicle. Um, and it... It has run into years of, of, of setbacks. It has run into project overruns um, in the billions of dollars. Um, mm. And frankly, it is using a legacy system of, a, of solid rocket boosters. Like you saw with the space shuttle, the rocket boosters would fall away and they would land in the ocean. And that's all that that's all she wrote. Uh, it, no doubt the SLS will become um, a, a capable rocket. I believe it'll just not be, you know, ready in time to meet the Artemis uh, program's mission goals of 2024, um, which is a shame because the SLS could have promised is, you know, to paraphrase the most badass rocket ever. Um, mm. 
this thing would have made the Atlas V that launched Apollo 11 astronauts and others uh, to the moon look like a matchstick. Um, it truly <laughs> would be incredible. But because of cost overruns and because of time overruns, there's just no more time. And NASA can't afford to waste uh, any more time because they have this brand new mandate um, that they're going to set people on the moon by 2024. Um, you know, and, and as well as, you know, on the one hand, it's incredible that we can have um, a private company be in a position to do this. Um, but it's also really, I think, important to keep in mind that the SLS could have been the rocket. It absolutely could have. Um, but there was just never enough money. There was just never enough money pumped into it uh, to get over the problems. With a lot of uh, technological breakthroughs, the easiest way to get through them is by throwing uh, insane amounts of money at them. If you look what happened with the Apollo missions, uh, the uh, you know the U.S. was paranoid about losing the Cold War, uh, rightfully mm -hmm. so after you know they were beaten to the first man in space by by the Soviet Union. So what did Congress do? They decided to essentially write a blank check to NASA, going, "Look, do what you need to do to make it happen," and they did. You know, in a matter of you know a few years, they went from not really having put much into space to having a rover with people driving it on the surface of the moon. Uh, that's the power of literally a fire hose of money. Um, and, and the current breakdown of the U.S. federal budget, uh, from my understanding, Andrew, it's like 1% that NASA gets on an annual basis. It's about that, yeah. It's about 1%. Uh, and back to the Apollo days, it was, I believe, five or six. So, you know, in order, you know, five times more funding would, would do wonders for the NASA right. budget. But alas, it hasn't happened. Um and not only that, but the cost of launching is the other big problem. Um, the cost for launch one time of the space launch system is about $2 billion. Wow. Uh, and that is a lot of money uh, to pay for a single launch. And you look at SpaceX, um, you know, they estimate that their Starship launches, the Starships are currently testing, uh, it's actually... Uh, SN15, their 15th prototype of the Starship, is gonna is pegged to launch the next couple of days. Um, so look out for probably another explosion there. But right. uh, Elon Musk has estimated that launch costs in the you know in the nearish future could be as low as two million dollars for the Starship. That um, is so a that's an entire there. set yeah. of three. Uh, that's an entire set of zeros off that check. And so NASA, being unfortunately cash-strapped as it is, has had to kind of go, all right, well, we are no longer in a tenable position. We can no longer do this. Um, so they've, they've contracted it out. And SpaceX beat out uh, a team led by a company called Dynetics, uh, who do a lot of kind of space subsystems work on the ISS and all that. Uh, and a joint bid from the kind of national team is what it's called, led by Amazon's Blue Origin. Um mm led by wannabe Bond supervillain Jeff Bezos um, with a <laughs> conglomerate of other companies. Uh, you know the names, like Lockheed Martin um, is part of that national team. And SpaceX beat out both of them. Um, and that's just a testament to how, uh, really just how good they are, how absolutely and astonishingly good SpaceX is. Um, and this Getting is just people the first back on the step. moon. Right, because I was going to ask about that, because getting people back on the moon is uh, obviously really, really exciting. Is this just opening the door for the eventual dream that so many have had for so long and finally putting a colony on the moon, a lunar colony in, in real time by, who knows, 2030, 2040? Uh, I would say that, you know, I, I, I and I'd like to think I'm, you know, I'm more of a pessimist than I'm an optimist with stuff like this. 
Um, you know, always aim low. Um, that's how I got through school. Um, <laughs> but I, I personally think that we won't see permanent human habitation until at least 2035. I think we'll see a temporary you know, we'll see, you know, seasonal or off and on habitation by 2030, perhaps. But I don't think there'll be a permanent, uh, you know, foothold there until 2035. But, you know, that being said, uh, one of the biggest reasons people want to go back to the moon now is to mine it for minerals, because we've already decided to trash one planet. What's trashing its moon afterward? Um, you know, and, and mining for rare earth minerals, uh, helium-3 on the moon will become a very important thing. Um, and so I think that, if anything, the capitalistic push to, you know, take resources and, and use them, um, the sheer amount of money to put into that will, will make something like that happen. And it's nothing that any, you know, congressional amount of, of pushing and shoving w- would get done. And I guess that really is kind of the bottom line here. We've seen that, you know, for lack of a better word, uh, private industry has beaten bureaucracy back to the moon. Um right. And you know, yeah. I personally, I, I personally see that as as a as as a disappointment. Um, I believe no, you know, I... space exploration should be a national, international endeavor, not underpinned by profit-seeking motives. Um, but that being said, you, money talks at the end of the day, right? That's just kind of it, uh, and that's what's going to happen here. So you know, in the next few years, Starship is going to have to demonstrate as part of their contract. Um, ship-to-ship refueling in orbit. So two ships will just kind of kiss and swap fluid, I mean fuel. Um, And that'll be an important step in getting people to Mars in the future. But they need to demonstrate that that capability exists. Um, And another capability will be a, you know, a safe landing, as they haven't yet demonstrated, honestly. Um, Every single, you know, uh, uh, prototype they've sent up into the higher, into the atmosphere has come down and either exploded before landing exploded on landing or exploded after landing um so there's still you know a, a long way to go i'm not saying this is a slam dunk to make 2024 uh, space flight is hard and yeah you know i do think spacex is absolutely the best pick to do it i think if anyone's going to do it it will be them by 2024 but it's by no means a slam dunk it's maybe you know a end of the first half you know long three might happen might not fair Progress is a process, but there you go, SpaceX. Given the contract to send humans back to the moon, it has been oh decades since we've been able to even talk about this possibility uh, living out minutes. in real time. Yeah, well, there you go. Two things before Andrew, uh, appreciate... you boot me off. Oh here. yeah, two things before yeah. you boot me off here. Uh, just because this just came to my mind right now, uh, the Mars helicopter might fly tomorrow, so keep your eyes out on that. Oh, there you uh, go. We okay. might have a Wright brothers moment tomorrow on another planet which should be very cool i believe it'll happen around 6 30 a.m eastern time um so you know you might have to stay up or get up you know super early or stay up super late to watch it but i think it'll be worth watching um and second of all did somebody slip like dominic Hoshik tape into like holtby's like pre-game like what was that <laughs> save like that was crazy that was a brilliant save. When now we're that talking to Vancouver Canucks, uh, that was maybe the save of the year maybe the save of multiple years depending on who you ask that was but, it was yeah. crazy Anyway, uh, he okay, chose I'll, the right time to have, yeah, he chose the right time to have the best game ever as a Vancouver. Right? <laughs> uh, he is Andrew Ferreira, host of Weird Science. Hey, Andrew, appreciate you doing this. Always, always. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.